0: Congratulations are in order for Lord. The pop star earns her first ever number one album as Melodrama opens atop the Billboard 200 albums chart.
1: And the Grammy goes to Royal by Joe Little and Ella yelich Connor Lord. Kiwi singer Brooke Fraser has won a Grammy for Best Contemporary
2: Christian Music Song. You may not have heard of Joel Little, but there's a very good chance you've heard his work. He's the Kiwi super producer who helped Lord conquer the world and who's gone on to work with some of the biggest names in music, Taylor Swift, Khalid, Sam Smith, Shawn Mendes, and more. It's work that's made him a lot of money. And the best female artist goes
0: to... Kimbra!
1: <laughs> but it's not all glitz, glam and riches for everyone working in the music industry. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail... How do musicians in New Zealand make a living?
2: There's heaps of potential in music, but there's also heaps of slog and a lot of people that aren't lucky enough
0: to kind of string it all together and and make a career out of it. There's some weird philosophies around the way people perceive music and its inherent worth, and because it's fun, then
1: people sort of think, well, why are they even charging me for this? Two Kiwi musicians on what it takes to make a buck in the constantly evolving music industry. Mel Parsons is an indie folk singer-songwriter from Littleton. You might have heard her performing live on RNZ, or maybe you've been lucky enough to get to one of her gigs. She's made a full-time job of songwriting and touring, and rather than sign with a record company, she's been independent from the start. But did she really have any idea about just how big the business side of things was? At the
2: start, I had no idea what I was doing, and, and I had really had no idea that half of what or you know, three quarters of what I would spend my time on throughout my career would be the the admin and business side of things. But you know, I think that's the the beauty of doing it, kicking off when you're young and you're just like, all right, I'll I'll do this and I'll work it out along the way. And first of all, I thought um, my goal was getting signed to a major label. You know, that was like the holy grail at the time. And that never eventuated for me because, I guess, of the non-commercial nature of my music. Early on, I had no idea what I was doing. I really just worked it out along the way. I set up a, a record label, if you like, which essentially is just, I thought of a name and then started, um, you know, and set up a company behind that and then just worked out the bits and pieces as I went along. And I was self-managed then and I'm still self-managed now. You know, I have a lot of, I have a, a great team around me now that, that helped me, you know, that I contract to, to work for me, but I still,
1: um, yeah, I'm still kind of steering the ship for the most part. So there's a bit to juggle here, the business and the creative sides of being a musician.
2: The money thing, is it's really interesting. And I think, um, and I still feel this way. I think that on the one hand, you've got to be sort of savvy and you've got to have a bit of a business brain or or, you know potential to understand or interest in that side but it can't be the focus I think you've still got to be sort of quite purist about the creating you know about the music or the art or whatever you're making because I think if money is your focus then right from the get-go I think you're, you're better off down a different path you know get into finance or something where you've got a steady income because there's heaps of potential in music but there's also heaps of slog and a lot of people that aren't lucky enough to kind of String it all together and and make a career out of it. So, I think you have to love doing the thing first and foremost. And I think also if you don't, you know, if you're if you're sort of trying to make music or art or whatever with the goal of making money, you know, that's it's, it's fraught, isn't it? It's highly, first of all, highly unlikely that you'll succeed. Some people do, you know, and 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 I'm always impressed when that happens. But I think if that's your focus, it's a bit of a spiral <laughs> downwards,
1: <laughs> downwards, potentially. When you started in 2008, as a musician, did you have a side job? Were you working at the time, or was that your sole focus?
2: That became my sole focus. So I had. So up until then, I had just been doing lots of little bits and pieces. Like through uni, I, I was a nanny, and I worked in hospo and d- did all that stuff. But I decided, you know, because I was on my own and I had very low expenses, I wouldn't have a side job, and I think that... And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having having a side job. I think that for a lot of people, that's the way that they survive and take a lot of the stress out of it, you know. But for me personally, that that was kind of the way it had to be. I think because it made me, it pushed me to to have to do it. Like if I if I didn't work, and then I wouldn't, I literally wouldn't make
1: any money. So how, how are you making money? How are you making a living?
2: you sort of have a whole lot of different income streams really like the the big one for me has always been live touring you know so ticket sales festivals obviously touring in recent years for all the for all the reasons that everyone knows has been an absolute roller coaster to say the least you've got streaming income your digital sales you um, there's publishing income, there's r- different royalty streams that come in from different places. There's syncs, um, so sync licensing, which is like if your music gets moved, uh, used in a movie or TV series. Or There's a lot of different uh, income streams, yeah.
1: If you're a fan of Kiwi drum and bass, you're probably familiar with Matt Harvey from Concord Dawn. While he's left the life of a busy recording and touring musician behind, he hasn't left the industry altogether. So I managed Shapeshifter and Quarter, um,
0: a young band called Flexies, and a young singer songwriter pianist violinist called Nick Dow. That and two kids keeps me pretty busy, and I've always sort of been, how would you put it, countercultural or belligerently obtuse in terms of uh, not perhaps choosing the, the easier path uh, in life. Let's say. And music is certainly that.
1: Why would you say that?
0: Well, it's just not easy. Um, you don't get holidays. You don't get a fixed income. You're in the gig economy. I think the gig economy itself was named after gigs for musicians. You know, we say this now for Uber drivers or or contractors. Um, so you are going from gig to gig. And I think what you you're especially seeing in the COVID period of time is that that is also meaning that people... Won't say no to any gig, whether it's a good pay rate sometimes or not. Everyone's afraid now of the day when the offers stop or when the, the restrictions begin. Or People take everything that comes, perhaps more than what's good for them. While you were
1: getting Concorde doing big, how did you get by?
0: Probably initially, uh, primarily gas pumping money and then an odd gig every now and then, which was a little bit of extra on top with the uh, with the gas station wages as a baseline. I can vaguely remember when we did it, when we started making enough money that we could put some money in the bank, save it up and go, you know what, we're going to get $400 a week. And that transition was probably around, I, I'm guessing here, around 2002 or so. And then it got to the point where we were putting more money in the bank and we were able to pay ourselves wages You know, more and then we'd give ourselves a little gig bonus or you'd take royalties and you'd put this there and put that there. And then when I lived in Europe, even I would put aside a third of what I made. Um, I'd blow some of it on clothes, I'd blow some of it on studio gear or whatever. But I was always quite good at sort of catering to anxieties about about financial security by sort of triaging money and and hiding some of it under a under a rock and leaving it there for later.
1: So in those kind of early two thousands, when you were you were well known, you were touring around the world. Mm how much your income would come from, say, one stream versus another stream?
0: Primarily live. In the days when people were buying CDs and buying a lot of records and we were selling a lot of records to DJs, obviously that was a pretty hefty component. In New Zealand, live currently is, I think it's 33% and radio is 32 or something like that. Still, the, the, the bulk and retail is smaller. Retail, like sales has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk as the years have gone on and, and most people stream now. But back then you could do pretty well out of record sales, but that wouldn't come to you on a weekly basis either. That would come to you on sort of quarterly payments. And the thing is with gigs always was you'd go and do it and you'd get paid right away. And so it, it was, that was the money that was flowing regularly into your bank account.
1: You know? What kind of share did you get from the gigs? Like, did you? What, would you get a share of the ticket price or how would that work?
0: Predominantly then and probably still now in DJ culture, you would just have a fixed fee and your booking agent would negotiate that and arrange all the travel. They'd get half of it in advance and then another half either a
1: couple of days before or right away afterwards. What brought you into the management space?
0: Um, I was looking around for jobs. I didn't have a lot of um, work experience certainly no qualifications Um, so I just looked around for a bit and went oh man what does a what does a guy who thinks he's clever and thinks he works hard but maybe isn't either do for a job when he finishes being a musician
1: goodness me why were you finishing being a musician
0: Um, because I think for what I do just travelling up and down and around New Zealand and making a living from that isn't actually really that feasible Or what Um, do you mean well there's only so many towns in New Zealand There's there's a lot more in Europe in New Zealand there's Not that many places where you can have a nightclub that plays cool underground music and a couple of hundred people will turn up and pay 20, 30 bucks to come and watch a DJ play. How have the artists that you manage be making money these days? Each artist is always going to be different. So if you're someone who does really well in the streaming world, perhaps, that might be that. But that may be because you write music that isn't, um, that's quite... Easy to listen to, for want of a better expression, and people don't turn off when it comes in through their algorithm. Um, but that nobody wants to pay $100 to go and see live. Other artists, you know, they might be countercultural, underground, subversive, or whatnot. Um, they may not get as many streams, let's say. People might buy their music on CD or vinyl, and they might sell merchandise, and they might do really well live, but not so well on another medium. And there's always been you know, artists and and genres of music that do better in some ways than others, you know. Heavy metal bands, punk rock bands, sell a lot of T-shirts, for example. But predominantly live is the the
1: thickest end of the wedge for the artists that I work with. If you compare from your days at Concord Dawn to now the artists you manage, like you were making, say, how much on albums... And album sales versus tours versus now.
0: Like very much on the back of a napkin, uh, off the top of my head maths, I'd say if you'd probably be looking at something moving from 50-50 towards something like 80-20 with the bulk of it being being live. And that's quite a change, is it? Well, I mean, you have to look at, um, I don't even know, what does what is, what is my, my streaming service cost me? Well, whatever that costs me. About 15 bucks a month. Okay. You can pay that for one, uh, you can pay a year's worth of that for one concert ticket quite easily. And unless you're streaming sort of one artist, then of course you can see how the math works quite quickly. Obviously, what you pay for in a concert ticket doesn't just get handed directly to an artist who sails off into the sunset. There are costs to be paid. But you can still see where the thicker and thinner end of the wedge is. However, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Apple Music, You know, people are discovering music through these platforms too, and I've discovered so many cool artists that have popped up on on playlists and um, been recommended to me and whatnot. Will I will I pay for a ticket for every single one of them? Not every single one of them, but I'm aware of them, and you know, I'm more likely to go and see them if I have heard their music than if I've never heard it.
1: We're talking about streaming, but also there's vinyl as well. Just say, I'm thinking record stores across Auckland, like real groovy, flying out that kind of thing. I mean, is that a resurgence and is that bringing in enough income or a little bit? Is that improving? Um,
0: records are a wonderful thing more permanent memento and trophy, but most people don't consume music like that. Most people consume music and playlists and moods and things. But um, And I, I think that's the thing you may find too, is that someone who streams you and, and hears of you that way, not every single person, but some of those people will buy a T-shirt, they'll come to a concert, and they'll buy a record. And suddenly you're not talking about $0.10 cents from a listener, you're talking about $100 or two or $300,
1: you know. And so that's, that's, that's a whole different maths. So how does Mel Parsons balance the books these days? Let's start with Streaming. That's just one of the ways, you know, like
2: for me, I think for streaming, some people are like really down on streaming and are like, oh, it's, you know, killing music or whatever. But actually, you know, the reality is the way that people have consumed music over time has always changed, you know, and, and now that's just the way that everyone listens to music is to stream it. And, you know, myself included, I think it means that you can access, you know, so much more than, than you potentially would have been able to afford previously so people who are streaming big numbers are making a lot of money and doing really well out of it to be turning
1: over a lot you know you've got to be having pretty massive streams here are some numbers to put that into context spotify usually pays a tiny amount 0.003 to 0.005 us cents per stream So if your song is streamed 100 times, you earn about 44 US cents. That's 70 New Zealand cents. Not too much. Mel describes her streaming income as steady but humble. Just ticks
2: away. You know, I've I've got a reasonable back catalogue now. I've got uh, five records out, so, you know, a lot of songs out in the world. And I've got a great fan base that continue to listen and support me. And
1: what about live touring?
2: That's something I find funny or interesting or depressing, depending on the day. People might see a a ticket price and then, you know, they multiply that by the number of people that are at the show and they're like, wow, you had a great night tonight, you know, but what they don't see is the so many costs that an artist is covering to get there, you know, so, you know, sometimes on a show that you've got a really decent, even a full house on, you know, you might be breaking even or you might be taking a loss on it you know depending on what your expenses are so it's yeah it's a funny one but I think the key I mean and it's probably you know it's not a unique concept but it's just the consistency you know like if you tour enough that you keep that audience interested and they you know and you make sure you put on good shows then they'll come back and it is a roller coaster for sure but hopefully first of all you break even and then hopefully on top of that you make a bit of money.
1: Is it actually feasible to tour around New Zealand? Is it actually profitable? Can you make money out of it? you,
2: you absolutely. You can you can make money touring, and, and that's essentially what I do. But it's you have to be prepared to to take the losses, and and also be investing. You know, like you go out on a tour, and and this is as an independent. You know, you you go out on a tour. You've got to put up a chunk of money to start with to to set the whole thing up and run the advertising and things, and then. You know, someone might get sick and you have to pull it and there's no one to cover. I guess that's the thing, you know, it's it's a high-risk kind of game and, and every tour you do as much work as you can and you set it up in the best way that you can. But there are, there are so many variables, I guess. So it's sort of high-risk, potentially high-reward or potentially no reward, you know, that and you just have to be prepared for that.
1: Is there any idea how much you would make a year from music?
2: It varies year to year, you know. It depends on the where you're at in your release cycle, so... If you've just released a record and you've sold a bunch of vinyl and a, you've had really strong streaming, then you might have a better year than a year where you are just investing and in making a record, you know. So you might have really low turnover or you might have really high turnover. It's a roller coaster.
1: Does that roller coaster make some years more challenging than others?
2: To, it's, oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. yeah. You just have to be prepared for that and understand that that's the nature of the industry, you know in it. Um, but if if you love it, you know if you're drivers to create the art and you're making good art or good music, you know I think that all the other stuff falls into place.
1: Musicians are able to get funding from New Zealand on air to do things like record songs or make music videos. The music commission can chip in with money to help cover the cost of touring, among other initiatives. Matt Harvey says that's all well and good, but musicians can't rely on it.
0: One of the reasons I think there needs to be more discussion around, you know, fair pay and remuneration and how musicians make a living is it's great to have funding from the government and all the governments in my lifetime have been pretty good like that for the most part. But you need to be able to stand on your own two feet and you need to make minimum wage and you need to be able to charge people minimum wage and people need to pay you minimum wage. That's not really something that's up for debate. You know, you can't say... To anyone in this world, I don't think you should get minimum wage. It's like, well, hang on. But because you are contractors and the way that works and someone isn't directly hiring you, that all becomes a bit muddled. And I think there needs to be some clarity around that so that people recognise what they're paying. I mean, this isn't just um, private concerns. People ask to use music for free all the time. Can we use your music for this for free? Well, why is that? Often it's that people haven't budgeted correctly. And they've paid someone to, to shoot the video. They've paid someone to do the makeup. They've paid someone to do the titles and all this sort of stuff. They've paid someone to do the editing. And then it comes to the music and they go, oh. But, you know, if you build a house and at the end of it you hadn't you didn't have any money left for paint, nobody would give you free paint. But that's un- this unfortunate thing where people go, oh, it's music, it's fun. Oh, they'll, you know, let's do us a favor. What does it cost for us to, you know, we're not making a copy of it. There's some weird philosophies around the way people perceive music and it's inherent worth. And because it's fun, then people sort of think, well, why are they even charging me for this? But um, you know, m- musicians fill up their cars with gas and, and, and drink milk and eat bread too, all of which have gone up with inflation. And yet you don't see, there's not like pay rises across the board for musicians.
1: Okay. So what what would be your advice to people that are, you know, love music, they really want to have a go at the industry, but they might listen to this and think, I haven't got a hope in hell because you can't make any money out of it. I don't want to scare people off by any means, but I think you want to be realistic,
0: and I think you want to look and go, okay, how much money do I need each week to pay my bills? And, you know, maybe if that becomes... I'm going to start out working 30 hours a week and spending 20 hours a week doing music and then it's going to be 20, 30 and then 10, 40 and then I'm going to go full time in my fourth year or my fifth year, you know, to plot some kind of journey like that. I mean, it may happen quicker than you think. One of the qualities of creative people is they're creative. They have a vision of how they want the world to be. However, there's also reality and you have to reconcile the two things to make the creative possible. And other than that, i say the other thing is if you really want a career in the music industry as a musician and as a creative, I think you have to treat it like any other career, and that's to get up in the morning, you know, have breakfast, do whatever you need to do, and then put do the mahi. You've really got to put the hours in.
1: That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Flo Wilson, our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Mel Parsons and Matt Harvey. Ka kite anō.